Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. We have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. Joining us across the table from me is David Wells, the CEO of Enclave Markets, which says it's the first fax. That's right. Fully encrypted exchange combining what they say is the best parts of centralized and decentralized finance. Wells previously worked at Paxos and most recently at Two Sigma. So he's bringing a, another mix of crypto experience and traditional finance. Before we dive into what's going on over there, what effects is, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Once again, David Wells, thanks for joining us in studio. How's it been? Oh, it's been wild, but uh, but very fun. Um, we uh, started just over a year ago and launched our first product uh, last September. So it's uh, it's been a great wild ride. But you know, as you know, I've been in crypto since for a long time. I've been in since 2017. So used to the uh, the fun roller coaster. So what's the, you know, what what's the origin story there? It was sort of born out of Avalanche and that team, and that's right. They brought yep. you in to execute. That's right. Yeah. So as you know, uh, the founders of Avalanche and, and Ava Labs are all computer science uh, experts, uh, you know, cryptology experts. Um, and uh, they had had this, uh, this idea to uh, build an exchange model, a centralized and decentralized exchange model inside of a technology called Secure Enclave. And, um, you know, I had been introduced to them uh, because of my background at Two Sigma and then Paxos. It was sort of a perfect fit. So what does it do? Like, is it you can go in there and <laughs> trade and in the That's shadows, right. yeah. Well, uh, a year ago when we were pitching uh, the uh, the value prop, which was, "Hey, we're removing the single point of failure uh, from crypto marketplaces," uh, the response was, "Well, we don't really need that. We're happy with our our options that we have today." Uh, obviously, and what's a single point of failure? Yeah, so a single point of failure is uh, in a centralized exchange. You're basically relying on the operator to be a good actor. So. They have, you know, it's a custodial model, so they have control of your funds. They own the code base, the ledgers that have your account balances. All of those things are uh, controlled by sort of a central entity or, or operating group. So in our model of uh, the fully encrypted exchange, we say, don't trust us. This is uh, the performance of a centralized marketplace, um, but also the security and governance of a decentralized uh, model. So is it up and running? It is up and running. Our first product is Enclave Cross, and this is based on something that hasn't existed in crypto before, but it's been in equities in the foreign exchange market for a couple of decades. Um, basically, it's uh, called a crossing network. Mm -hmm. um, so 
the order book and uh, executed orders are not disclosed publicly, um, so there's no information leakage. Uh, and then we protect against price slippage um, and any kind of market impact by using a pricing oracle that's an aggregate of external uh, venues. So essentially, you can, for a block trade, for example, you can put in a large order, um, have that be completely filled at the market price, no slippage, no market impact, um, and no information leakage. So nobody knows to start front running against you or move against your trades or have the algos go crazy. Mm -hmm. And so who's using it? Yeah, so it's been a mix. So we onboard individuals and institutions. I think the, the primary use case for this, interestingly, is lower frequency but size traders. Um, so that's primarily sort of buy side participants. Um, so you have prime brokerage firms, uh, OTC desks, uh, systematic traders. So similar to the, the quant fund I was at before, uh, people who trade signals but can be on the taking or the making side. So not just the sort of traditional high frequency liquidity providers. Got it. What do you think of the state of the market right now? It's like the market yeah. <laughs> structure. You know, we lost a lot of the banks that kind of connected mm -hmm. all these firms together in many respects with Cigna and Sen, Sen yeah. now being gone. Yep. I was one of the first users of Sen actually back in 2018. So very familiar with the, the benefits of the 24-7 movement of fiat. Um, I think it really impacts overall liquidity just because you need to be able to move your funds, uh, you know, across different venues, particularly for those who are providing liquidity. Um, there's a huge capital efficiency issue there. Um, but ultimately, I think that, you know, this is an opportunity for other banks to kind of fill that fill that gap. But they may they may take their time doing that because, uh, you know, until we understand all the reasons uh, for Signature and, and Silvergate. Um, you know, but I, I do think that there will be uh, somebody who fills that void. But in the meantime, we're going to suffer from, you know, reduced liquidity, sort of like risk off, particularly in non-banking hours, so nights and weekends. Even during banking hours, as you know, it takes a while to like send a wire over. So uh, it slows everything down a lot. So the weekends will be even more, like we kind of see these weird trends in crypto where the weekends are a bit more volatile or, well, there's less liquidity because mm -hmm. the trading firms are all kind of asleep yep. at the wheel. Yeah, I think you see thin order books, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you have uh, large swings in volatility. Um, one, uh, one area, one feature that we've included to sort of address that is called downside price protection. So you can submit your order uh, and then uh, basically say like, hey, if the market moves X percent you know, away from where I started, just cancel my order. So I think you'll see more uh, features and protections uh, around that. But in the meantime, it's definitely very thin order books, especially when you get lowered on the list of you know, liquid assets. Mm. So until, until there's a replacement to Sen or Signet, just lower liquidity, more volatility generally. I think that's right. I think you will see uh, more use of, of stablecoins. So stablecoins obviously do run run 24 seven. Um, had a little bit of a scare over over last weekend in, in that world, but in general, I think people you know feel feel fairly confident in that at least for being able to trade. But then even there, your creation redemption uh, windows for fiat uh, between stablecoin and, and fiat aren't available. So uh, you might have some who just decide to to switch to stablecoin only and just be you know trading stablecoin pairs uh, over the weekend. Um, obviously, that would be good for you know DeFi markets or, or markets like us where we don't have a fiat on or off ramp, but we're stablecoin based. Um, so I could see that increasing um, until you have another solution. I've been getting a lot of gigafud from a friend of mine hmm. this morning. He Love gigafud. It's it's gigafud. <laughs> I'm scared to speak it into existence, but he said to me, "We're preparing for an environment where OTC transactions cannot be settled in USD." 
where USDC will be wound down, hopefully orderly, in the not-too-distant future, and where USDT could be worth 25 cents overnight. Then he said, back to 2017, exclamation point. I said, gigafud. <laughs> he goes, just being honest. I, I feel like he's messing with me. <laughs> I mean, look, there is there a non-zero chance of all those things happening? No, there's sure, like a four percent chance. <laughs> it sounds like a hypercorrelated event. Um, no, I think we we saw in 2018 this happen, right? Like this is uh, you know this is not the first time where crypto has had banking issues, and the main reason for that is because you, you know uh, large banks won't service crypto companies. If they did, then we wouldn't have had uh, the issues that we had. But you know, I was around in uh, 2018 when you know uh, Noble Bank failed and everybody was saying the same thing like oh well that's it that's it for for crypto you no longer have um you know you no longer have fiat and i just don't think that's true i mean 15 years this industry has survived through a lot you know starting with mount gox and going all the way to to fdx so you know with um there's real demand out there there's hundreds of millions of of users globally uh of this and tens of millions in the u.s so i think there will be uh banks that step up and say we well, you know how to do this the right way we're going to work with regulators to make sure they're aware of, you know, all the movements and all of our oversight and compliance and all of those things. And it's a business opportunity for them. Laura Vidiella asked me to ask you if we're ever going to see the dance of the Indian <laughs> wedding you attend last November. Oh, man. Um, let's the people see, maybe, must know yeah. in all seriousness. <laughs> maybe when we launch our, uh, our next product uh, this coming May, I might have to do a dance on stage. I'm giving a, a keynote at the, the Avalanche Summit. So that might be a good time to revive that. I practice a lot, so it's, it's worth showing the, the world. The world needs to see it. She <laughs> said then, in all seriousness, why do you think FEXs will take over centralized exchanges? Sexes? Centralized exchange. Yeah, I know. You I don't say that. I say CEX or centralized. <laughs> CEXs. Yeah. So I think FEX brings together the best of, of both worlds. So, you know. I think sex brings together the best <laughs> of both worlds. Well, there's, there's that as well. Um, you, can, you can have your cake and eat it too here. Basically, in uh, in the FEX model, you get the performance of any t of of Nasdaq essentially, right? There's also a privacy aspect to it, right? Because it's fully encrypted. It's essentially a black box. Even we, as the exchange operators, aren't viewing your trading activity directly. Um, so you're given a level of sort of privacy, but also institutional grade throughput. Um, and interesting, unique marketplaces like Enclave Cross, but at the same time, you don't have to, you know, rely on the tweets of an, uh, somebody who's running the exchange to know whether to underwrite them for, you know, their credit worthiness. Um, in this case, we have a network of attesters that basically run like node validators, um, and they they do uh, they approve and audit all of the code base that we have, all the changes that we make. We can't access the wallets uh, unilaterally. Uh, we're working on a system now to be able to sort of bring your own custodian or your own settlement platform. Uh, we're launching our first one with Hidden Road Partners in a couple of weeks here. So basically, we can provide this fully encrypted exchange as a service uh, for multiple you know, settlement platforms. And eventually, I think those uh, custodians and settlement platforms will be able to um, basically settle inter-custodian so that you can have efficiency with capital. So how are how's Hidden Road going to use it? Yeah, so essentially we're plugging into their settlement platform. Oh, okay. Their, their customers can essentially log on and identify themselves as a HRP customer. Um, we uh, basically you know, do a handshake with Hidden Road and then they can start submitting orders, but they're all undisclosed orders. So mm. it's, uh, it's truly a confidential marketplace. It could be you know, OTC desk versus OTC desk. Normally they would never ping each other because they don't want to reveal their positions. They can do this in a safe and secure way on Enclave and they know there's no settlement risk because it all settles uh, at HRP and they can extend, you know, they can get margin credit and things like that from their, their prime broker. Oh, I understand. Okay, so it's like they're just using 
your technology so that two of their clients or counterparties who may not want to interact with each other visibly mm -hmm. can do so and it all settles through Enclave. That's right, yep. And eventually we'll be able to connect those uh, platforms with the rest of Enclave um, so that you can trade against the broader liquidity pool, but we're sort of phasing it, uh, phasing it in. So pretty excited about that. What's the regulatory environment look like for effects? Yeah, it's pretty nuanced because we do live kind of in the middle between you know DeFi and and the and the CFI model. Um, for us, we're we decided to sort of like go more a little bit more of a conservative long term view. So we're doing uh, we're doing full you know sort of KYC onboarding, um, compliance, transaction monitoring, all those things to be compliant. We're applying for licenses where we uh, where we need them. There are a lot of areas uh, as sort of like a you know a DeFi like exchange where you don't need. Um, that license. So in those jurisdictions, we're able to to be up and running for for beta. Um, but you know, it's it's something that's that's ever evolving. Um, so you have to keep a close eye on everything. It's you know, fifty different uh, fifty states ha all have their own sort of regime and their views on this, which some have started to shift after um, after FTX. Uh, so you know, as as you've seen, a lot of a lot of the you know market makers, trading firms, and platforms are sort of uh, moving outside the U.S. or you know, uh, reducing their operations here. So um, we'll have you know we'll be able to serve global clients and, and U.S. clients, but the jurisdiction uh, you know the timing will de just depend on the licensing process. What does the um, client pipeline look like? Yeah, so I mean, I think we've had a lot of uh, great traction uh, with individual users so far, um, just because it's been like lower, uh, mm -hmm. lower order sizes, right? Um, but that's been great, over 10,000 signups. Um, on the institutional side, uh, we've had a couple handfuls of institutions um, onboarded and start to trade. Obviously, it takes a while to uh, to onboard both from the technology perspective, like API integrations, but also just like cybersecurity diligence and underwriting and just like legal onboarding. Um, so that takes a little bit uh, longer, but we're also working with a lot of the infrastructure providers and smart order routers to be able to make it easier for them to integrate. Um, but the feedback that we've gotten, especially from any trader who you know was in TradFi before and used um, like a crossing network in equities or FX, they said essentially they would keep this up on their screen all day and send all anything that they had a block trade for, they would send it first to this pro this crossing network and then to an open order book. So we think we'll be a pretty key part of, of that model for anything that's uh, sort of larger order sizes. Mm. So have you talked to any of your old trading firm friends? What keep do they think about yeah. crypto? Are they, are they moving into the space or... Yeah. I've, I've heard of a number of different <laughs> trading firms that were, and hedge funds that were exploring DeFi and now have decided to pump the brakes. Yep. And I think part of that is because of, uh, you know, compliance considerations and things like that. So we've, we've uh, solved for that. Um, you know, we saw the same thing in sort of the 2017 bull and, and then 2018 bear market where institutions got uh, very bullish. They started to invest a bunch of resources, hire a bunch of people invest in it and then as soon as you had the you, you know the, the retrace the downturn uh in the market they they hit the pause button and then they weren't ready for the next uh bull market so from what i've heard is that um most of the larger uh you know trad five let's say uh trading firms not, obviously not necessarily like big banks but uh the trading firms are still uh cautiously you know moving forward in their plans on the infrastructure side at least to be able to be connected um maybe not you know allocating a ton of capital yet but they i think they want to be ready and be there because they've learned the lesson of previous cycles where you know this does yes it's volatile but it doesn't just go away overnight it's been around 15 years i know it's been around 15 years and it's still so 
unruly. 45 years for you. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> look at all the grace. <laughs> Evidence. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. What do you think broadly is missing from like, crypto's market structure? Yeah, I think the, the big thing that you have in traditional markets is the large banks as prime brokers can mm -hmm. offer, you know, not just like qualified custody, but they can also also offer lending. And so that's, um, that's, that's a big issue for liquidity in general, right? Most liquidity in traditional markets, uh, it, are, they're using some type of, you know, borrow from a, from a prime broker. Um, and so, you know, without the largest uh, banks and prime brokers and balance sheets in the space, mm -hmm. that leaves sort of like a dearth of capital that you can actually populate order books with, essentially. So I think that, you know, that's being addressed in some ways by having qualified custodians uh, who have, you know, pretty decent like technology integrations now. Uh, the problem is those qualified custodians, you know, don't have really large balance sheets, so they can't lend a ton. Um, and it's also pretty fragmented, right? So now in, there's no lenders. Who's right? lending? Yeah. I Falcon X, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't know, uh, honestly. I mean, it was it was really encouraging to see Fidelity like, uh, you know, open up their uh, open up their platform. I mean, we need more of those large uh, institutions to to offer those types of products. Um, but in the meantime, I think, you know, you're, you're just going to have uh, reduced liquidity. Um, I think the other thing with uh, the custodians is they're, they're super fragmented um, and, you know, it's difficult to move capital between uh, custodians um, and then integrate with all the exchanges. Some of the custodians have to have segregated assets. And so that requ requires on-chain movements every time you're allocating capital to a different firm. Uh, so these are all kind of holding us back. Mm. What can the custodians do to sort of make that process of moving capital more seamless? Yeah. So, I mean, in our model, what we want to do is connect, uh, integrate with all the custodians. Um, and that's like step one so that their clients can allocate capital to us via API call instead of, you know, sending sending something on chain and, and fully pre-funding it. That, you know, that protects against counterparty risk, but doesn't introduce additional settlement risk. Um, the, the, the second step, though, I think is the custodians need to have agreements with each other to be able to do sort of like a net settlement, uh, you know, periodic settlement. And that's how that's how it works with large TradFi banks. And it's not that we want to be like TradFi, but that is capital efficient, right? Especially if you're a large fund that where you want or need to have your funds with a custodian, you want to get some uh, some leverage or margin on that. The best way to do that is by having uh, the custodians work with each other. Mm. I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> it's going to be tough. I know. I've been I've been preaching this for for a while. 
Um, but it is going to ultimately benefit the the entire space uh, for them to do that. And I think some of the larger names in the space that uh, don't want to have all of their uh, funds in one custodian, which makes sense, right? It, you should you should have multiple different uh, custodians. I think there will be a lot of uh, demand uh, pushing for this model. We definitely need more competition. I mean, it's not super healthy that Binance commands like 60% market share. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of the point on, um, you know, re- regardless of what you think of that, it's still sort of like a single point of failure in the in the system, right? It's critical infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see in the, the banking world right now, they don't want everything to consolidate to, you know, to one entity or a small number of entities. So I think it's healthy for the space to have multiple, um, you know, infrastructure providers and and to in order to have you know really good oversight making sure that you don't have you know the exchange isn't also the market maker isn't Mm -hmm. you know prop trading doesn't have preferential access to the order book Uh, i'm just saying in general these are things that we've seen over time uh in the centralized exchange model um so i think you'll see more projects like us us popping up that sort of guarantee those things in code and using technology to address those issues how do you guarantee no slippage so on uh, Enclave Cross, basically all of the pricing is executed at the the top of the book, essentially. So we take an average of the midpoint uh, across various different mm-hmm. venues, and that is your reference price or your Oracle mm-hmm. price. So and you essentially, when you put in the order, you're putting in a, an amount and a direction, but you're not putting in the price. So it's um, you know it, it's an it's a crossing order. It's not a market or a limit mm-hmm. order, uh, but all trades are filled at that market price. It may be it may be filled over time at five different prices, but you're always at the top of the book. And the reason for that is to prevent any kind of like market impact on those trades. It's mm. interesting. Is it just being bootstrapped by Avalanche, or did you raise? So, so, so far, our funding has been from uh, Blizzard Fund and then and then Ava Labs. Okay. Um, yeah, but we do plan when we when we launch our next product, uh, Enclave Spot, uh, which would be this spring. Uh, we do plan to bring in some strategic external partners um, and sort of you know align incentives, include our, our tester network, things like that. Um, it, the, the idea is to be truly like Switzerland, truly neutral. We're mm-hmm. we're a cross chain platform, so we're integrated with Ethereum and Avalanche. We'll have other L ones and L twos in the future as well. Oh, nice. I feel like that's like the way in which a lot of these upstart DeFi-esque projects start. They pick one chain to be born into, and then they expand out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's helpful to have that uh, community support, right? Um, so that is that is like where we've seen a lot of our initial early support. But again, we're, we're cross-chain, so we plan to, to really expand that. What was it like starting a company in the aftermath and wake of Three Arrows and FTX and Luna? <laughs> It's been it's been a wild year for sure. Um, I I don't mind it because it's the not bad the first... days are over. Yeah, right. Now it's time for the worst days. <laughs> I love that. Call the bottom. The bottom's incoming. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't mind it. I've been through this. Uh, you know, you you just have to be used to like startups are roller coaster in general. Crypto is another derivative on top of that of a of roller coaster. So I kind of knew that coming into it, uh, having experienced sort of like the 2017, 2018 mm. cycle. And so that's just kind of, uh, you know, oh, par for the course. In, in my view, I actually think the timing is great because these cycles tend to last two years. We're currently, you know, we're early stage. We're, we're in the building mode. We're building all the, the pipelines, integrations that we need and the partnerships. Um, and then, you know, when the market uh, turns around, we're going to be there. The tires will have been kicked. Uh, the model's been proven. Uh, and then we can really scale. Laura's asking me questions that I've already asked. <laughs> That's great. These, I can answer these questions. Would a prime broker, broker-dealer type of entity be interested in partnering with a biz like Enclave for liquidity? 
Probably not. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I think you know the the, the prime brokers and uh, even the you know the, the custodians that also offer some type of trading solution. I think they're just looking for marketplaces like us who are just want to be the matching engine, right? We're not trying to compete to be uh, the custodian. We have a decentralized, you know, custody model for the funds that are uh, in in the enclave, um, and we're we're just sort of like offering unique products and marketplaces uh, that you can be cryptographically sure that there's no sort of you know preferential access or um, market manipulation or front running or any of those things. So I think this is a service that um, you know a lot of uh, partners will will look to. Um, and then we can work on sort of how do we connect all these different uh, liquidity pools. But um, we've seen a lot of interest in having this type of uh, unique, you know, marketplace. Is there an extension of like credit? There's no, there's no extension of credit. Everything is fully pre-funded right now. But that is one reason why we're working with the the, the prime brokers and for those yeah. who do provide the credit. Um, you know, as the exchange, we don't have interest in being the the prime broker ourselves. But um, we understand that that's an important, you know, part of uh, market infrastructure. So, um, so we're partnering with the appropriate partners who can uh, who can offer that. Yeah, because that just makes it more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else are you excited about, just outside of what you're working on at Enclave? Um, let's see. I mean, I think this is uh, this is kind of an interesting, you know, fresh start or or a little bit of a reset button in digital assets in general. Um, I, you know, I really follow sort of like real world assets, tokenized assets. Um, the, the KKR announcement about, you know, tokenizing uh, a private equity fund, I think is super interesting. I've uh, been interested in private markets uh, for a long time. And I think that there's not a lot of access for, you know, the average investor or even like the majority of investors in the world to access those markets. And one way to do that will be through sort of like fractional ownership through uh, these tokenized assets. So hopefully at Enclave, we can uh, we can eventually list some of these, uh, you know, tokenized assets. But I think that's probably the future of the space. You know, right now we're all still depending on like Carta um, and a, just a few centralized platforms for uh, for private for you know VC private equity all those things I think that will all be tokenized you know, over the next several years. There's obviously some regulatory considerations and licensing things to figure out, but I think it'll get there. What went wrong in 2017 when we were trying to tokenize? STOs? Yeah, yeah, STOs were trying to tokenize <laughs> college dorms. Right, I remember that. Um, yeah, there were a few startups at you know Harbor, I think it was called. They're done. Yeah. Um. What? Why didn't it take off then? What? What makes you think? The future will look different. Yeah, STOs were, were is a pretty hot topic for a while there. I think one of it was just market timing. It takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of work with the more traditional, slower moving, um, you know, custodians of the world, right? So, t in today's world, you have a legal document, a piece of paper that says this is the title or this is the deed, um, and getting that uh, organization to understand and figure out what is the right integration uh, with an on-chain solution takes a lot of time. And I think because you went through the sort of like bear market cycle, then uh, a lot of the appetite went away from those uh, institutions. But similar to, you know, institutional trading, I think all those larger funds see the benefit and the opportunity there. I mean, for them, the opportunity is to really disintermediate some of the, you know, asset managers and the brokers who um, who go out and, and find investors one by one, and you're paying a lot of tolls. So this is a way for them to go direct to market to the uh, end investor. Um, so I think that there's there's been enough investment now over the last several years where they'll be able to figure it out. Security tokens making a comeback. <laughs> I, I think they rebranded uh, RWAs now. What do they call them? RWAs? RW, yeah, real world assets. Real world. Yeah. 
can't keep up. <laughs> but you do have other interesting like blockchain models. So um, Avalanche has something called subnets where you can create like a permission subnet. So if a you know if a Fidelity or BlackRock or somebody wanted to uh, have certain compliance restrictions around uh, that network. Um, they can sort of customize and create their own. Um, so I think you know eventually Enclave will integrate with uh, with those types of things. So these solutions just weren't mature yet. Uh, you know, in 2017 it was the ICO craze. Everything was an ERC20 token that was just uh, you know all about speculation. Remember that project Poly Polymath? Uh, yes, vaguely. Or Polymarket? Yeah. There's called? been a lot of polys. Yeah. That guy was. That guy was. <laughs> a lot of polys for good. Polymarket. Right? No, Polymarket's the. Uh, that's the um, prediction market. Prediction market. Yeah. Polymath is what I was thinking of. Like so many of those projects just like disappeared. It rings a bell, but yeah, I mean there was there was a ton of those, right? I do think this uh, bull market was obviously you had a ton of froth and uh, you know some some craziness as you would expect with any kind of uh, big bull run like that. But I think it's a lot more serious. Like the technology, the teams. Uh, that's why I was you know really impressed when uh, I was at Two Sigma and, and talking to the the Avalanche team. I mean these are true you know computer scientists like 20-year professor at cornell computer science like a legend there um getting into the space and i think you've had a, a huge influx of real talent that has come in whereas you know maybe in the early days it was just sort of like speculators and um you know if you uh, you know trader day traders things like that i think now you actually have real intellectual horsepower on uh, particularly on the computer science side of things uh, to create some really interesting products Traders I, are so pessimistic right now. I have to be honest. I was a chicken little, like in in 20, you know twenty eighteen, like Noble Bank, where I was just like, oh man, like it, this is Noble done, you know? Bank. Yeah, like I thought, you know, I thought everything was it was was going to collapse, and lo and behold, like sure, there was a, a, a sideways kind of crab walk for a while, but um, the demand Bank. is there. You know, like the narrative hasn't the narrative persists, right? And so it doesn't matter uh, whether you know you're Char Charlie Munger and analyzing the cash flows of uh, of mm -hmm. a Bitcoin. Uh, it doesn't really matter because hundreds of millions of people around the globe see this as a real utility, particularly those living in emerging markets, developing markets where the central banks are highly political. I mean, we know they're political everywhere, but yeah. they're highly political in these um, developing emerging economies. And they see the real value of having an internet currency that isn't political. What was the craziest 2017 era story that you have? Um... Let's see. It was it, it was pretty it was pretty scary there when um, there was like the uh, you know Noble Bank and then the tether the tether scare. I would say that was that was pretty interesting. You know, trading down to eighty cents and I mean we had a little bit of a, a you know flashback of that I this know. weekend, right? <laughs> Which you'd never think. Um, but yeah, I would say that was probably the the scariest moment. And um, yeah, everybody just tightens up and starts worried about car to party risk and recalling loans everywhere. And it's just like everything gets stuck. You can, it's, it's super interesting to see like how you could see how a financial crisis happens in a microcosm, right? Of, uh, yeah, well, it happens, like, yeah. it happens like more frequently. <laughs> it does. But part of that is because, because there's not all these, these necessary requisite tooling and infrastructure. Absolutely. And also access to like larger banks, right? If we, if, you know, if all the crypto providers had access to the, the largest uh, banks, you wouldn't have had the, you know, the signature Silvergate issues. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, David Wells, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through Enclave. Thanks for having me. And everything else. I mean, <laughs> it was great. So much to unpack. Once again, we've been joined today by our guest, David Wells, CEO of Enclave Markets. So where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're working on? Sure. So uh, my Twitter handle is at WellsDA2. 
Um, Enclave Markets is just at Enclave Markets on Twitter. And then our website is enclave.market. And if you're a trading firm, we have an API portal up and running um, and we'd love to talk to you. So please feel free to reach out. Have you convinced Two Sigma to plug in yet? <laughs> Not quite yet, but uh, I was on a <laughs> panel there uh, last week, and I think that uh, yeah, I, I think that they did learn uh, you know some they, lessons from they learned. So yeah, fair enough. Optimistic. Thanks again. Thank you. The scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.